Hello everyone, this is Mirko Guerrini and I welcome you to the Jazz Transcription Clinic, a monthly interviews podcast where we talk with accomplished jazz doctors about their lives, career and their personal secrets on the art of transcribing. If you want to improve at jazz, stay tuned and follow the Jazz Transcription Clinic on the socials for more content. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Jazz Transcription Clinic. And it's a big honor for me today to have the guest jazz doctor uh, talking to you uh, as Julian Wilson from Melbourne, Australia. So Julian is one of the first tenor saxophone player I heard in Australia ever. And I was completely blown away by his playing. And I remember the second night, probably, I heard Tony Hicks, who is another exceptional tenor saxophone player in Melbourne. Hopefully he will be uh, one of the next guests to this podcast. But when I heard, you know, first Julian Wilson and then Tony Hicks, I thought to myself, oh, I'm in trouble. If I if I move out here, it's gonna be tough because those guys are really great. And what impressed me about Julian is that he didn't sound at all uh, American. He sounded uh, very very personal and and original. So Julian has already achieved an exceptional career and you can listen to Julian playing in over 80 albums and I will put the links to his website and his all social uh, media uh, in the podcast description and he won an incredible number of awards I'm really jealous but they are all super well deserved I'm pretty sure, and he's an established uh, player, composer, and also publisher in Melbourne because he founded his own uh, label and he publishes constantly a lot of music contributing to the development of the Australian jazz scene and to the uh, also the, the, the share into the world of the Australian jazz scene. So it's a big honor. I'm so happy that Julian accepted my invitation to this podcast. And uh, so welcome, Julian. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mirko. Thanks for that beautiful introduction. Uh, it's, it's really... Uh, I I remember exactly it was at Bennett's Lane when ben, Bennett's Lane was still uh, there. It was probably 2008. And then uh, there was a student, a Monash University student, who organized a gig with uh, yourself and myself in it because this student thought that we were a, a, a good combination of players. And I was... Very, very nervous that night. Because, you know, when you play with someone that plays like you, oh, it's, oh, man. <laughs> oh, you're too kind, man. Hey, i got a question for you, Mirko. Yeah. Um, you, it's funny because I, um, it's a question starting with a statement. 
first of all, I studied with Tony when I was in high school, when I was studying the Bach cello suites and the classical right. stuff that we talked about before. And um, you said I didn't sound like any of the American guys, which is interesting because it's funny, often I get a review and they mention a bunch of guys I don't listen to. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than the guys I do, you know how that happens. Yeah. But um, I wondered if you heard a similarity between Tony and I because I w- was studying with him in such a strong part of my development when I was 16, you know. Uh, I think so. Now that, that, that you say it, I can, I can hear that there are some similarities, but it's more the creative approach to improve. You know, there is a melodic taste that is probably more European. So I, I loved you guys and I still love you guys because uh, probably you, you remind me of my uh, own heritage. You know, that the uh, Europe is where I was raised. Uh, but it's, it's more the fact that you can play anything and I think I can recognize you. You know, if someone... Oh, not where it comes from, but that, it, that it's me, you mean? Yes. If someone yeah, oh, that's makes nice. a, like a blindfold yeah. test and plays a recording where you are playing, I probably now would be able to, to pick you up because first is the tone, of course, and your tone is a bit different from Tony's, but the melodic shaping of the phrasing is, yeah, could be similar. I, he was the first teacher I had, pretty much the first one I credit with um, giving me a cassette tape yeah. and saying, go home and listen to this. You know, because yeah. always my teachers before that always taught me to play music with my eyes. They put music in front of me and say, play this, and I'd read it. Yeah. And I used to improvise, and I, and I used to go off the page and sort of chastise myself for not working properly and not being diligent and, oh, I'm just goofing around again. And then I became to realise, oh, no, I'm, I'm playing music that's not on the page that's in my, that I'm hearing in my head and that's where I want to, yeah. where I want to go with it, you know. But, yeah, Tony gave me a, <laughs> a cassette tape. Of course, I was listening to, um, you know, the early Cats and, and, and um, Stanley Tarantine was the first one for me and then Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster, that famous meeting album with uh, Bud Johnson's on it as well. And yep. Harry Carney with um, Ellington. Like, I can't play Sophisticated Lady without hearing Harry Carney, even though I haven't played baritone since yeah. I was a kid, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, and Brecker, obviously, and then um, all this stuff from the radio around that time that I started listening to the radio when I was about 13 and I wanted to play the saxophone and all the stuff that came out in the 80s, so Brecker's first album, like mid to late 80s when I was yeah. in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ornette and Virgin Beauty. I thought that was Ornette, you know, for the totality of Ornette for years was – Virgin late 80s stuff. And Tony gave me a cassette with one side was alternate takes of Jepson, the other side was Garbrick works. And I had no idea which one was trained and which one was Garbrick. You know, I was so, so green, man. Yeah. But uh, I didn't understand the, 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 I didn't really understand Coltrane, but I connected with the sound of Garbrick, you know. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that you were taught uh, music by like reading, looking at a chart and reading off a chart. And and then you mentioned that you were giving a cassette. Uh, so you remember you those? Forced, <laughs> yeah, you were forced to listen. And so I think we are falling into uh, like the first question because this podcast is all about transcribing, uh, which is something that 
we all do, uh, even when we are people like like you, you know, that are an established professional who plays professionally uh, since like 30 years now, probably, and you still transcribe. So my first question for you is why you do so? Why do you transcribe? Why? Every time I transcribe, my time and my tone gets better. You know, if I'm playing along with, with Coltrane, maybe it's just because I start to hear their sound and I'm imagining their sound in my head and hearing that more than what's actually coming out yeah. the horn. <laughs> you know? yeah. Maybe that's why I sound better. I don't know, but I'm starting to hear a sound. If it's, if it's Coltrane or, or Bird, I still love transcribing and Dexter I've been transcribing again lately or um, Sydney Bechet. Like I, I, I kind of, for me, like I said, I started with those Garbrick and Brecker and Ornette and the 80s, or an 80s Ornette and that stuff and then went back through, there were some early cats I was into but I missed a whole period. So I had to go back and back and it took me about 10 years to get comfortable with playing the music that a lot of my friends growing up yeah. played which was um, music of, of early, a century ago from New Orleans. That, of that traditional music, you know, and now I um, I love Bechet. You know, I actually did a couple of projects recently, and I've never liked tribute things, but I like the idea of a homage. Or so I had this couple yeah. of gigs, and I I picked a couple of players to focus on to choose some music for these gigs, rather than it being a. a you know, a tribute yeah. band. I, I'm not going to go in and tell a bunch of stories about them from their biographies or yeah. anything like that. But, but I, I chose to. Um, I had a, a band with the older cats playing, so I focused on Sydney Bechet compositions. So, uh, and then I did a Dexter one, and, and the same thing. I got to hang out with Dexter or Sydney for a couple of months and just play along with the records. And this is when I'm in my late forties, you know. And uh, I, I love that man. I still love so, it. So. Uh, I have a curiosity because, as you know, there are a lot of transcription books about Dexter or even Sidney Bechet or uh, Coltrane. Of course, there is probably everything that Coltrane played has been transcribed and published. But I have never found a publication with Ian Garberg's solos. Have you ever transcribed Ian Garberg? He's one cat, like I talk about... I ask my students if they've ever transcribed because I believe that's the most important. Learn, you know, I always tell them these are your two most important teachers, your own ears. And and if you can't, you know, if you could play, uh, if you can't play a, a note and sing it back, you, you're you're in trouble. So, but um, if you can hear a phrase and and play it back, if you can start to hear music as sentences rather than words or collections of letters, you know what it is. You you remember. Two five one, rather than remembering D minor seven, it's got these notes in it, and you just remember that that four bars as a thing, and I like the letter T H E is just the. We don't even read it anymore. We just see it as a thing, and um, but I ask students, you know, do you ever transcribe one note? And they look at me kind of funny. But Jan Garbrick is one of those guys I could play with, and I have spent a whole day just trying to play one note that he plays and just get that sound. You know, Brecker's another one, that thing we talked about before where he lips down off a note, lips down a tone. Um, the first note on 
the train record, Lush Life. Train's a funny one for me. Train and, and Wayne Shorter, they everyone wanted to sound like Train and Wayne Shorter and everyone was transcribing them when I was at school. And I went, well, everyone else sounds like that. And they all sounded like, uh, you know, bad carbon copies yeah. of yeah. Train and Wayne. It, was, it kind of turned me off. Like one dollar shop sound. Right. <laughs> and so I transcribed uh, when I was in college. I, I mean, I loved Lovano and, and Frizzell and Paul Motion Trio. That was one of my favorite things. Oh, yes. But I ended up transcribing through that, through Lovano, transcribing heaps of Bill Frizzell and um, John Schofield's band I love with Lovano again and um, Matheny's bands with, with no saxophone I loved. So they, they were three cats that I transcribed. And, of course, AD81 with, with Brecker and Dewey. So could I say that? One of the main reasons you transcribe is to get your sound to some territories that you haven't explored yet. Yeah, I guess I always, what my process was as a kid was always just putting on a tape and play along with it. And, um, and imagine I'm on stage standing next to Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster or, or whatever, whoever is yeah. Stanley Tarantino, whoever it is. And just I play something that that they wouldn't glare at me for playing, you know, something that would fit the music, something that complements what they're playing. Not exactly what they're playing, but something that complements it and is in the sort of style or reflects it. And then occasionally I'd stop and rewind a little bit and check a little bit out. Cassettes were great because you could rewind just yeah. the tiniest bit and while the play button was still down, you could still hear how much you were rewinding. You did this process yeah. too, yeah. right? Of course. The iTunes is terrible for, for transcribing because you go back one second, you want to go back like a fifth of a second yeah. and, and just those two notes. You could do that with the – I had a really sensitive rewind on my thing. I saw a thing with Brecker talking about this recently in a – it must have been a workshop someone filmed and he said he never transcribed a whole solo yeah. but he would grab little bits like that, you know. Yeah. It was my early process for it was grabbing little um, – Little, just little segments that I liked, you know, yeah. and yeah. So I think that to that that train one, where he he plays um, like someone in love, yeah. and he plays it in A flat, which is kind of unusual. Gets plays it there too, and um, he starts on the C in the upper register on the saxophone, but he approaches it from a D, and he approaches that D approach note from a C. So we are, there's a whole series of events that happen before. You might write the chart saying, oh, it's a C on there, but it's got a a D approaching it. This approach from a C and those notes, because of the nature of the saxophone, um, I don't know if you can see, you know, but moving between C and D, there's, you can open how, when do you open the D key and or when do you yeah when do you open and when oh they're both opening and then they're both when do you open when do you close so something like that uh, that inspired in me this is you know transcribing one note for a day is just holding the C key so it's C to C yeah. sharp yeah and saying ninety nine percent of that is C sharp and one percent of it is C when it's fully closed yeah. So can I zone in on that 1% and find out when that note is between C and C sharp? It might be 2.5%, you know. Just finding that point where the horns, just between the open and close where the note changes and focus in on that. And then I'm going to focus in on trying to open up the D key (laughs) slowly and, and a combination of lip and 
finger movement and then opening the D while the C is still, you know, like I call it fudging or um, smudging it, you know, like can I smudge the note between those? So if I could... If I go in slow motion, I never slow things down really, but um, I just go over and over and over them. If I slowed it down, it's kind of, yeah, the whole phrase. So that, I mean, it's, I talk, I'm saying it's one note, but now I'm saying it's, well, there's two approach notes to the one note. But really it's yeah, but it's one something. thing. It's one thing. It's and, one thing. And you might yeah. spend like two weeks to get it right. I mean, you might say, you know, Johnny Hodges is another one. He yeah. might go, oh, bo, bo. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole tune in the way, yeah, way just, he can play one note. Just the head of Ishfahan can take, you know, right. ages to get it right. I mean, if you're going to get inside it, that's what I want to do is get really inside it. I mean, it's great seeing people play along with transcriptions and they got all the notes right and all that. That's awesome, you know, and and it's to be commended and it's, you know, but it's sort of like a computer can kind of do that. Yeah. The computer can't really get inside and, and work out. So for me, the transcription, I write them down. I like to have them written down. I like to be able to go back and analyze them. Um. We will go back to that. Um, how do you choose the solos you are going to transcribe? Oh, Is it like a random process or you want to work on something in particular, you might not be happy with your playing and you say, oh, I have to improve this, so I might work a little bit on this player because I know that this player has that thing that I'm missing or it's just you hear something that you love and you say, I want to know. I'm in the second camp. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it, but the first camp is appealing to me and I think maybe I should consider that a bit more now you've brought it up. But mine is an emotional connection, you know, when I'm listening to music. Oh, I'm going to do that one now. But, I mean, the Dexter one I did, um, I did, I did You or No One from Doing All Right. Because yeah. I did you know one from Homecoming, and I did you or no one from Homecoming because I was listening in the car and heard um, Woody Shaw's solo. And actually, I wanted to transcribe that because he sounds amazing man, on yeah. that live at the Vanguard. And um, but when I actually transcribe it, it's amazing. It's like when you um, when you play with someone on stage that you've listened to from the audience before, and all of a sudden there's a whole another world going on that you don't connect with just listen. I don't connect with just listening. When I'm playing with them, all this other stuff opens up. You listen on such a deeper level mm. um, that I, what I found with listening to that Woody Shaw solo and then the Dexter is Woody kind of, you know, when they're playing fast, he's kind of behind the, the beat a little bit. Dexter can be way behind the beat, but he never sounds awkward or uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, yeah. In, it's incredible. Yeah, he does this. The opening phrase to that um, to that first solo on Homecoming. It's like the last track, I think. Um, his time, you know, because I think of Dexter as often being behind the time, but his time on the opening phrase is so on the money. 
That's um. Right on the beat, and then the next phrase, it's almost like it's in slow motion and it's an elastic band that he's pulling apart. You know, the and of four almost comes after the downbeat of one. It's like he's one phrase. Yeah, he goes like this, and then the next phrase is like, whoa! You've got this whole world of um. Playing uh, uh, of different places to place things within the beat that he's very aware of. So I I guess our listener uh, would just realize that uh, in all our episodes, I I can almost foresee that almost nobody will talk about actually the notes, but it's all about (laughs) what's behind the notes. Right. Because this is what it is. Also with my students, I always say you first get the notes and that's like a preparation for your work. Your work hasn't started yet. You have to have the solo down with all the notes and all the rhythms and then your work starts. Uh Uh, A lot of people think that once they got all the notes, it's finished. No, it it actually starts there. You know, and then you go into the nuances, into the articulation, into the sound, or into the breathing or vibrato. Come on, let's talk mm-hmm. about vibrato. You know, it's my first teacher, my first jazz teacher, let me spend like three months on Lester Young vibrato. And he was uh-huh. very strict. I was going to the lesson, I was driving all the way down to Rome from Florence. And every month, I was, okay, I'm playing the, the Lester Young thing. And he was saying, no, vibrato, <laughs> vibrato is, is not that. Oh, but isn't it this? No. And it made me understanding that it is what's behind the notes that makes that music interesting and, you know, emotional, that moves you. It's not just a note. We we are all playing the same 12 notes in the chromatic scale, but we are still fascinating by a player or another player, and we are all different. You know, someone might not like Sonny Rollins, and it's fine. But the reason is not that doesn't like the notes that Sonny Rollins plays, doesn't like the way Sonny Rollins plays. So it's funny you were talking about driving because yeah. I was thinking about a driving analogy and it hasn't occurred to me before, but maybe because, you know, I'm thinking about the Ferraris and stuff, but it, it, it's like um, it's very hard to teach a student how, how to play. We can teach them what to play yeah. and I can give someone nuts and bolts, yeah. but I can't teach them. I can't give them experience only that you can only play their own experience. So I was thinking when you're talking about driving, it's like, um, teaching the nuts and bolts is like the mechanical. We're teaching someone how to build a car and that's very precise and you need to know what thread goes with the screw and they fit together. But, but teaching someone how to drive the car is an emotional thing, you know, especially if you're driving beyond the level of um, normal control, yeah. right? Not in your, with your L plates driving up. But, you know, uh, what do they call it in Japan? Yeah. Where they... Uh, what do they call that, man? Oh, I don't know. Where they slide the cars, you know? 
Oh yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a name for it. So yeah. it's out of control, and it's you know, if to turn left, you have to turn right. Yes, it's that kind of. It's an intuitive and an emotional, and it's a reaction, a reactive thing of playing. It's funny and because it can only I own experience. No matter how much you transcribe someone else, when you're in that moment, all you can do is express yourself. I use the same it. analogy, but to describe improvisation. Right. I say traffic, driving in the traffic is the most exciting and powerful collective free improvisation that you can imagine. Mm. Because you know your starting point and you know your destination and you know the rules. And lastly, you know how to drive the car. You know how to play your instrument. But all the rest, you don't know anything about it you don't know whether there will be you know raining or it will be a sunshine day you don't know where there will be a traffic jam or someone who just you know takes a red light and and you have to be prepared to steer at the last minute and i always feel the same when i play jazz you know i i have to be prepared so I practice at home, but I don't practice playing. I just practice to be able to play my instrument and to be able to steer last minute to a direction. Oh, okay. so you, yeah, so practicing technique and then leaving, leaving the music for the gig. Yes. Because you have to be in the moment. Like You can't be thinking about what in happened the moment, in the last But when you are in the traffic, you don't know. And you are in the moment. And you have to be able to predict the behavior of the other drivers if you want to be safe. You know? So there is a, an interplay in the traffic and sometimes things are going wrong and sometimes you go back home after a gig and you feel ashamed of you know, how you played and how it went as well as sometimes you go home and you smash your car somewhere you know? and, and things go very badly. Um, so it, it's funny that you use the same analogy. Um, moving on, uh, I think you already replied to this question, but why do you write it down? I like to write it down so I can uh, analyze it. You know, it helps me to analyze it with my eyes. Maybe even if I even if I look at it and say, well, "That's a long phrase," or "Wow, he uses a lot of space." <laughs> you know, simple things that you can see like that or you can see shape or, um, I mean, sometimes I write the chords on. Normally I know the, the tune, you know. I mean, here's, this is one of, that's one I've been doing. So yeah. it's all in pencil. You know, sometimes I, I don't really see the point anymore of um, punching it into the computer. Yeah. Again, you know, maybe I could get my an assistant to do that if I get a, you know. <laughs> You know, if I wanted to show it to someone, I, I might have it in the computer. That's great. Um, if I would have I might, had three kids, uh, I would have had be happy to be your assistant, Julian. Maybe you get, maybe you've got three assistants there, but I, I, I oh don't yeah, know if I, I can teach them and <laughs> <laughs> assign them a task. You need to transcribe, Julian. So it's interesting because when I've done a transcription fully on the computer. It takes a little longer for me than the pencil or the pen. It's not as yeah. um, quick in my process of it. Yeah. Maybe if I use a keyboard, 
but I somehow I don't learn it in the same way either. Yeah. Sometimes I've done transcriptions. There's a lot of ways of doing it. I could I could um, do it just with the saxophone. I could do it um, with the piano, you know, or I could try and do it without an instrument at all. Mm. I find if I do every phrase with the saxophone, I really learnt the solo and I can play it by memory by the time I finished. Yeah, and Whereas this I is do the it next just by just by ear or with the piano, I don't have that connection with it. This was my next next question. Could you um, tell us a little bit about the process that you uh, put in place when you transcribe? Do you do like a whole phrase or one bar, two bars, or uh, a whole section like eight bars? What's the process you like to? Sometimes I um, sometimes I only do one phrase. You know, and I use that to practice for the rest of the day. That's my favorite, and that—that's what uh, the phrase might come from a book. It might come from a classical piece of music. It might come from an exercise book, or um, something—a chart someone sent to me that I'm trying to learn. Or it might come from Slaninsky or or from um, the use of Latif book. I really love getting things out of. Or it might just be me saying, "Oh, look here, here I'm going to practice major third today. This is yeah. when I have the most fun practicing." Yeah. One or two intervals, two or three notes, and then trying to combine them together in as many different ways as possible, and just and play and and sort of put it into a musical context, I guess. Yeah. Taking those, putting them into tunes, and this is I play the transcription. Sorry, I think I'm skipping forward to to something else. You're possibly going to ask me about. That's fine. Uh, playing the transcriptions, but. Um, I when I some I like to finish a solo because I'm very bad at finishing things. <laughs> so I have a thing about finishing I, I, the solo. I think sometimes it's I've right where if, I should have done the last head too. Yeah, I like to do the head too. You know, I like to do the melody as well. The way they play that. And do you use any software to do it? I got a thing called the amazing slow downer. Yep. And uh, I got another one called Transcribe Seventh String yep. by Andy Robinson, and uh, I really like both of those. And I only really ever used it when I was doing uh, this project a few years ago with Lenny Tristano and huh. uh, Lee Connors' music, right? Yep. And and what I use it because I found some charts for that stuff, but it's all got um, maybe it's from other versions, yeah. but it wasn't correct it's to the full versions. Full of mistakes. So I, I, I wanted to get it right, you know. I've got another book of transcriptions because one time I went in the shop and I humbugged them for like three, four hours about instruments and I went out without buying anything. I thought I've got to leave some money in the store. So I bought yeah. a book of Coltrane transcriptions and the thing I like about that is um, the ones that I've already done, I can go and check them against someone else's version. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, I got that bit wrong. Or, no, I, I don't think that's what happens there, what they said. I You know, because but you hear things different ways too, especially with those. We looked at some transcriptions before we started this interview, and the X notes or the crosses or the ghosted notes or the. And I do find when you slow it down that you hear things in a different way. Maybe it's more. Can it be more precise but less accurate? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like we can use these different words, like bright and dark. What do they yeah. really mean? Back can, in the days, I had a Pioneer CD player and 
It didn't have any fuzzy function. I remember that when CD players came out, there was the Philips brand who first introduced the AB button that you could loop. You could loop, yeah, great. You know, a section, but I didn't have it because probably it was too expensive. But I had a Pioneer, and that model that I had, I don't know if it was a bug or if, if it was built like that, but every time you played like the, the steel button and then press play again, it was kind of going back like half a second. That's a so, long time. So I developed the skill of like pressing the steel button and the play button and repeat, uh, yeah, yeah. repeat yeah. like even two notes. Like tido 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 tido, and then I started singing tido 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 tido, and then press stop and tido tido and find those notes. Sing it first, so you have to sing it first, and then then you don't even have to. There's this musical version of pin the tail on the donkey, you know. Yeah, you go tido 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 tido. Oh, there it is, you know. So no man, you miss it one. Okay, you might not get it the first time, but when you miss it the first time, now you can make a more educated guess. Stop and think about it. Okay, you know, then it nearly always comes rather than this kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, stabbing in the dark thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, my tape player was the same. I could press rewind while it was still playing and you'd hear it go back and you could actually hear where in the music it was. And yeah. so I developed this really soft finger. Uh, a, a soft touch would go slower than a, a heavier touch on the rewind. The tape players were amazing for yeah. it. And well, here's an interesting my students always say now they, they do everything from YouTube because YouTube has a slow downer in it. You can pick yeah. different speeds. But only 75%. All right. Well, I use um, the transcribe, seventh string transcribe yeah. program has a, a loop function like that and it tries to yeah. guess the notes on sometimes, but that's a disaster because yeah. there's all the other things going on. Uh, but it has the, the loop and it has the slow down, the different speeds and yeah. A, like I said, you hear different things at different speeds, I think. Yes, yes. You I have hear started the, the breath. This. Yeah, I have started playing this thing. Oh, I'm wearing the strap. I was looking for the strap before. Because I've been doing some in slow motion or 50%. I start hearing like... Right? So I'm actually playing, transcribing the slow motion sound as well, you know. Oh. Yeah. My lip's doing some funny things now. Julian, we should put together a band where we play everything in slow motion and call it like transcriptions. <laughs> Have you heard the guy that plays backwards? No. <laughs> man, uh, I, can't, I don't know his name, man. Barney played this New York alto player and he's transcribed Bird backwards. Backwards. And he can improvise like that now. <laughs> it's, it's insane, man. Because he, he did it so much, he learned how to improvise kind of like backwards bird lines. And he's paid negative dollars. For <laughs> <laughs> Right, but you have to use the technology you have available. Uh, I guess you guys, you know, people used my to dad, use My dad had a one of those like tape suitcases. It was called in Italian Fono Valigia. 
like phono, mm. phono suitcase. And he was playing on cruises. So on the boat, he used to transfer the long planes uh, onto his big tape recorder, and it had a switch, half speed. Ah, yeah, But yeah. there was a problem. That half speed went down an octave. Of so, course. So, like, a tenor saxophone was like a bass saxophone, like, boo, 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 boo. But he could, he could use it to transcribe. Like, yeah, he could do it, yeah. But there's pictures of Train in the hotel room. Um, there's one after Eric Dolphy died. He has a picture of Eric on the wall, and he has a little tape recorder in the room with him. Yeah. And I think he was recording gigs. There's a guy in Boston who recorded a bunch of train gigs in the 60s, early 60s, and um, Frank Tiberi, his name is. He taught yeah. um, you know Frank. Frank's funny too or something now. He taught Lovano and Gazzo and those cats. And, and uh, yeah, he recorded all these gigs in the 60s and he'd go and transcribe them after the gig at night, transcribing train, you know. Apparently, I had a few friends who have heard some of them and they're amazing, but then there's Frank kicks a bag sometimes and then he's him swearing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you would be if you were sitting listening to the train. You'd rip out a couple of expletives. Something I'm I'm always curious uh, because one of the most common replies when I ask someone to transcribe or a student uh, say, "Oh, you should start transcribing. Why don't you?" Uh, sometimes the reply is, "Oh, I don't like the idea of." Uh, becoming a copy of someone. Mm. Uh, I think that most of the times it's just an excuse because they are lazy and they don't want to, you know, sweat uh, to achieve uh, a good transcription. But have you ever felt uh, that you were risking, you know, you were going down a path and ended up playing like someone else? Like replicating someone else, and how did you how did you avoid it? I I, I don't think it's possible. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I I knew a couple of cats when I went to Boston that were ten years younger than me. They were at eighteen, seventeen, and one of them sounded like Dexter, and one of them sounded like Bagonzi. You know, they had all the language down, but they weren't those guys. You know, and I heard um, Sanborn David Sanborn getting his horn fixed once, and he just played blues and bebop licks really you know, to test out the saxophone and then give it back to the repairman and then play it. He didn't play all the the pop kind of saccharine stuff that he's known for, but it was unmistakably him. Now, I can hear like the truth, you know. When you hear someone lie, you can hear 20 different lies and you're not sure if they're a truth, but when you hear the Dalai Lama, you know it's the truth. <laughs> God, that's so simple. I knew that. You go, I knew that all along, but I, I had to be reminded of it in a clear, simple way and told with love. <clears throat> for yeah. me to um, <laughs> to accept how simple it is because it's easy to forget because uh, things get so complicated, you know. Um, so if I transcribe, um, well, you know, I'm going to transcribe Dexter, I'm going to transcribe Train, I transcribe Sonny, I transcribe Stanley Tarantino, Ben Webster, Colin Hawkins, Sidney Bechet, Brecker, um, Tony Malaby, Ellery Escalon, I mean, you know, like all, all this other... Um, Eras of, I mean, they're just the tenor players. Yeah. Um, they're all going to give me something different. And at the end of the day, I can't take away my own experience and I can only reflect my own experience. 
And um, when I get on the bandstand, hopefully I forget all that stuff and I'm not trying to play you all the licks that I've played and things that I know will work, but I'm just trying to relax and let the music flow through me and let what should happen happen. Yeah. Which is a really hard thing to do. Again, it's sort of like the analytical mind and the emotional mind and you need to be in a, an open state to improvise or a non-judgmental state. But then you're in the recording studio and you go and listen back and you have to be analytical because otherwise you're blowing money and you didn't get a good take of it. You know, is that, is <laughs> yeah. that good enough? You know, yes. judgmental, analytical mind. And then you've got to turn that off to play because it'll destroy you when you try and play. So, no, I don't think you run any risk of... Liebman said it beautifully, you know. Um, Dave Liebman said, you know, it, people won't say, oh, um, Charlie, you know, Frank's playing the... I heard him there in his solo. He's playing the third chorus... Um, the bridge, the third bar of the bridge of the third chorus of Cannibal Adderley's solo on Love for Sale. They just go, man, Frank's sounding great this week, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had another analogy about um, carpentry and cooking, and, and this isn't his analogy about the cooking, but it occurred to me, if you just say, oh, I'm just going to make it up, your food's going to taste like shit yeah. for a long, long time, you know, until you, I mean, if you can read a few recipes and then, you know, you make a few different curries and then maybe you try your own you know, or you run out of curry powder. What could I make curry powder with? I might use some black mustard, some yellow mustard seeds, maybe a bit of fenugreek. Should I toast that first or should I put it in afterwards? You know, what order? Oh, I've got some curry leaves in the in the backyard. Maybe I'll try them and so, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that tasted like shit too. Maybe I'll try something different next time. <laughs> but uh, Liebman said a great one about furniture. First of all, he said, um, if you're going to be a chef, you get a job washing dishes for the best chef in town and just watch him and just try and glean things off him and and you don't go and watch some guy flip burgers at the burger joint you know you try and work in the best restaurant or if you want to do carpentry you 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 know you you see a desk you like and what do you do you you destroy it <laughs> you pull it apart my brother was classic at this and repairmen often have this kind of mind too they want to yeah pull everything apart, see how it works, and then put it back together. And then often the act of putting it back together is, oh, how can I make this better? Or your mouthpiece makers, oh, I just made an auto-link copy, but it's better, more modern, brighter, something. <laughs> you know, they always have to tinker with it somehow. You've got to put something of yourself into it or it's pointless. Yeah, I mentioned in, in one of the previous episodes of the podcast that I come from Florence, right? And Florence is where Renaissance took place. And I I grew up with all those stories about those artists like Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Ghiberti, and Giotto. They didn't go to the art school. They were admitted into one master's workshop and mm. for like the first four or five years they they were blessed to be able to stay inside and watch the master working so the master was saying okay i can see that your son was talking to the father of the young kid right i can see that your kid has some talent he can come, but he has to sit on that chair and shut up the whole time. <laughs> and after a few years, he may ask, oh, can you prepare the colors for me? 
But for, for the first years, you don't say anything. You just mm. watch. You know, because, and they were never teaching those guys, you know, but they, they could learn everything. They could learn the basics, the technique, how you do things, and then you use your creativity to do your own stuff. Who's the guy who makes the movies like um, Black Cat, White Cat with the Bulgarian? Are they Bulgarian? There's a band that's part of the movie and they're always following the main yeah, actors. Yeah, it's um, uh, uh, the guy that has made also movies with the Kochani Orchestra. Um, is he Bul- Bulgarian or uh, No, he's Albanian? Yugoslavian. Yugoslavian, right. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a movie with them and the, all the um, adults are playing music and all the kids are sitting there with their instruments too and they're playing along the whole yeah. time, man. Not in the band, but they're in the band. You know, they're just watching from distance and they're just absorbing it. And the traditional cultures are like that as well. The, the kids are all, they're learning the dances, they're learning the music, learning the rhythms, they're learning the, you know, how to get painted up, the traditions, the making the clothes, the painting, everything kind of goes together. Our culture is very weird that we um, separate everything. Well, not even I'm going to be a musician, but I'm going to play the tenor saxophone. Yeah. And I'm going to study, I'm going to try and play in the style of George Coleman around 1964 in Miles' band, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, focus can be as narrow or as wide as you want it to be. But in Western culture where we're so um, uh, focused on individuality and on individual pursuits in our own places. I mean, lockdown is a classic for it, yeah. you know, because we're isolated from everyone else yeah. and we're just doing our own thing. And in a way, um, I didn't want to get around to this, but we're in a unique position to deal with this because we've spent eight hours a day in a room alone for our whole life preparing for this, you know. It's, yes. it's not – I mean, I miss the gigs, you know. Yeah. Now the gig's gone again, I can sack my therapist – <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess it's all this emotional stuff that comes from it as well. It's not just playing music. I mean, playing music with other people is such another level. And if I go to play music with other people and I try and force my licks from my Dexter Gordon transcription on them, yeah. then I'm not playing music with them. Like you say, if you're driving the car and you're, you know, thinking about something else, you can, you're probably going to get in, in an accident. Or maybe in a fight with one of them. You know, you're not listening to me. What's going yeah, on? Yeah. So, um, yeah. so by the way, the- about transcription, but I just want to say I think that transcription is almost exactly the same process as improvising. The only difference is transcription is copying something someone else says and having the time to slow it down, maybe with a machine or whatever, and Improvising is transcribing what's happening in my head in real time in the spot. So by transcribing, I practice what a fifth feels like, what a sixth feels like, what a phrase feels like. What So I can play some, I can think about it and it, it comes out without me having to think of spelling all the words. Because when That's I speak, great. I don't think of spelling the words. Yeah, I think it's, just, I think it's incredibly close, close to the same experience, even though it feels like, copying someone else and the other feels like expressing yourself. It's actually the same process, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I checked the the director. director's name is Kusturica. He's, he's right. Serbian. So I checked online. I, 
Mirko, what's your process when you have the transcription? Do you then, um, I mean, you play along like we watched some videos before of people who can yeah. play a map and their eighth notes are exactly the same, all the colour that's not in black and white's on the page. You get all that stuff there. You could turn the transcription off and you could still play along with it in time. Yeah. And then turn the transcription back on, you're still there. But what else do you do with transcription after that? I, I like to apply a methodology that actually Dave Liebman taught me uh, that you start, uh, you learn the solo, you memorize the solo. Like one of my favorite is probably Stan Gates of uh, Stella by Starlight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, out from that album called Stan Gates Plays. And I have transcribed the whole album because I loved in, it in so G, much. In G, right? Yeah, he plays in yeah. G. And there are some chord substitutions that are not common anymore on that Tune. Does he play the diminished for the first two bars? Uh, is half diminished the first chord and then? Oh, diminished. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of ways around that, you know. Yeah, but uh, so I got the solo down. I can play the solo. I can play along with the track or with a metronome because you know I learned it pretty well, and then. I start playing with the recording, but I change probably 10% of it. Mm. So I still play the solo and I still sing the solo in my head, but I might start a line a little bit later or instead of going up, I just finish the phrase going down. And then I keep playing, and then after three, four chorus, I just play 80% Stangates, 20% of my stuff. And then after four choruses, I play 40% uh, of my stuff. Mm -hmm. Sounds a little like the Connets 10-step method. Yeah. Like Connets yeah, a little, yeah, a little bit like that, but uh, w with a solo. So it's actually a nice process to don't feel trapped into the net of, you know, I have to play that note. No, because I know so well the shape of that line that I can control it in real time. And as you said it, it's very interesting what you said, that you are transcribing what you hear in your head. And it's probably this process helps you to speed it up that process mm. because you have something in your head which is the Stangates line but I can change it last minute I can nope I go here yeah. Or, yeah, right. or I unlong it there is when he plays the melody he plays this incredible tricky line on the bridge where he plays like uh, um, a miola so he plays like three three uh, it's incredible. And when I try to apply that methodology I was describing, I like to have a lot of fun there. And instead of playing I can play because I know the shape of the line and I have analyzed it, so I know the nuts and bolts, as you said, mm. and I can rem remount it, you know, but putting that bolt instead of putting here, I put underneath, you know, mm. and create with the same pieces. It's like having Lego, 
you know, and you create a different shape with the same pieces. And this process is very interesting because you get to the point where you still think a portion of that solo, but is no more recognizable. Is no more me playing stangets, but is me playing something while I remember stangets. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, even if I... Can I play something? I'll try not to play right now. I would love to. But if I play just the line that you were singing... <laughs> I had something like this. Yeah. I had, I'm playing from... It sounded to me like you're coming from the fifth. I might start on the seventh. Or I might play it uh, going up. Or, or with, because yeah, it's exactly. my approach from, from not chord tones but leading notes. So. Exactly. Or I might try widening the intervals out. Or, 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 or playing into the phrase or playing out of the phrase or trying to incorporate that phrase into yeah. the middle of something or playing it up instead of down I mean is that backwards or is it reversing the direction yeah. <laughs> I might play it minor Sorry, you got me on my gets. Extending the line out, you know. So at the end of the day, I've got, I think we're saying the same thing, 40 or 50 different phrases that all come from and are informed and inspired by that Stan Getz yeah. lick yeah. without just cut and pasting yeah. that Stan Getz lick. And I can or, play it in all now, you know. I mean, I don't want to play a solo in all 12 keys, but what I like to do is transpose, hey, puppy, <laughs> transpose a solo within the key. Yes. You know, so playing it off the seventh instead of off the fifth, playing it off yes. the higher. Yeah. <laughs> or also mashing up the players. Like you can play a Stengitz <laughs> line thinking of Coltrane playing that line. Right. Right. Well, so instead of like someone in love. You can play. Yeah. Right? Okay. And. <laughs> Weaving. I always think. And it's the same notes that Stan gets played, but they sound different. So that's really interesting playing a Stan Getz transcription in the style of Train or in the style yeah. of Hawk. I like that yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great, man. And it means if you're able to do it, it means that you have learned the concept behind the sound of that player, not just the notes. Because as I said, the notes are always the same. We are using the same notes that Mozart or uh, Shostakovich or right. I don't know. Uh, 
Bella Pico. There's only 12 notes, man. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway. And without uh, context, they're all the same. All 12 of them are the same. I mean, if you don't have perfect pitch and, you know, any, yeah. just one note by itself, well, it doesn't mean anything. That's right. <laughs> so I think we are heading to the very last question and it's probably the most difficult one, Julian. Uh, I hope you don't blame me for that. Which transcribed solo is your favorite? Oh. If you have one. I, I think it'd be the last one I did. You It's you or no one, Dexter. For now, you know, because it's the one that's in my head the most, but um, I, that one of Coltrane, um, Like Someone in Love, that's just a masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, Train on Blue Train, when I transcribe that, I um, learn how to play it, and it's quite fast, you know. Yeah. It's a but, and um, then I went, it kind of occurred to me, man, this person is thinking at that speed and performing immaculately. Like it took me a long time to be able to perform it cleanly and clearly because it's fast and it's tricky around the horn, but he's just creating at that speed like it's like it's nothing, you know. Um, the, the, um, Sonny Rollins on um, Olio, I think when I transcribed that, I didn't realise quite what a bebopper Sonny Rollins was, you know. The live version or the, the studio version? The live uh, version is like 30 minutes long. Yeah, no, I didn't do that one. Now, the studio version where he trades fours, Max, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's genius. That's absolute genius. And there's little things in that, you know, there's a line from that that I, I tried to get rid of, but it's just stuck in there. That's probably all it is, but I've remembered it as. But I'll play it as. Oh, I'm messing it up, man, of course. So I'll turn the whole thing into an exercise. That's the other thing is that yeah. those four notes. Oh, it sounds uh, a bit like the Nokia. Sorry? It sounds a bit like the Nokia mobile phone. Yeah, I mean, before he tongued every note, you know, talking about. Talking about like trademarks, Sony Rollins. <laughs> and you have to get that second C uh, fingering the low one because you have to have that dirty sound, like. And if you just finger the normal C, you don't get the same sound. It has to be like a, a, a bastard note, right? It's like that train one I mentioned, this one. For me, I mean, it comes from, from Leicester, I reckon. So, you know, playing the D in the lower register with that fingering. So, again, when I'm transcribing, I'm thinking... 
What and trains are classic. Is he using side B flat or bis B flat? Yeah, we could argue about that forever. We could never know. Probably both. You know, because he's a smart guy. He probably uses all the buttons on the horn. Yeah, I can't believe, man. When I have students and I say, do, "When you play chromatic scale, do you use this button?" and they go, "Which which button?" I go that one. They go, "Oh, I've never seen that one. How long have you been playing saxophone? Seven years." <laughs> You're kidding me. You never noticed. You never said, "What does that one do?" You know. You know what I say to the, <laughs> what I say to those students is, "Do you have the jazz articulation button?" <laughs> this one. Oh, that's and good. Say, what do you mean? I mean that if I if I press it and now I'm I'm pressing it, whatever I apply, even if it's a scale. <laughs> but if I want to play classical, I just <laughs> and and they try and it doesn't work. And I say, Oh, maybe it's broken. You should bring the saxophone to someone. Right. And the other That's thing, the, is, the other thing is, is the tuning, the tuning key. You know, this one, when I say, oh, you're oh, a Oh, yeah, 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 that, that one's important, man. <laughs> can you tune it? <laughs> I don't know if I've told you about my young student. He's been coming since he's nine. He's like 11 now. And we do most things by ear. I try to get him to read, but we've taught him by ear. So, But he just has curiosity. So he comes in and he says, on the first lesson, he goes, what's the lowest note and the highest note? Ah, oh, you won't be able to play them. Maybe the second lesson. And I show him low B flat and high F and he can play them, man. He plays F in tune. I'm like, that's amazing, right? And um, then he comes in, he says, I, I worked out if I play this note and I press this button, this happens. Or if I press this button, this happens. Okay, man, that's awesome. And he's finding these uh, songs. Right, show me that one. E with E with the B flat key on. Oh, Sam, that's amazing, man. Show me he showed me about three or four and I filmed them and I took them to my students at Monash and I said, Try this finger. Is that oh, is that from the 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 Russia book? Is that from the yeah. You know, the YouTube so No, man, my nine-year-old student Sam showed me this shit, man, because he's curious. And it has that, yeah. what if I do this thing? Like, what is every exactly. button on it? You know. Find your way to <laughs> play what you hear, right? My, um, my, my boy's just, I don't know if you can see this. You can hit just down yeah. in the bottom. Yeah. He's just, he's just, I've got this thing on the, I've started putting a, Bit of cardboard on the floor for the spit, you know. Yeah. I've become more aware lately, but um, he's just ripped it up because I'm ignoring him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boyo. Anyway, Jules has been a real pleasure. I think. And nice to chat with you about that, man. I sent you a couple of um, things. Just there's a Brecker phrase, and I've just put it up and down and back to front kind of thing. There's two phrases, and I mixed yeah. them together. Maybe it's sort of interesting to look at. If you're happy, we can put a link on the on the website of the podcast, and mm. uh, for sure, I will put the link to your website. And for everyone who is listening, whenever uh, you come to Melbourne, you have to check out Jules uh, <laughs> because he's a legend, and he won't uh, delude you. So well, if he's playing in town, go out and listen to him, and you won't regret doing that.
I look forward to seeing and hearing you in public again, Marco. Yeah. So thanks. And I really thank you for this time and the contribution to this podcast. I hope that, you know, the, the listeners will appreciate this and will feel more inspired to explore this wonderful music and awesome. all those artists that we love and we transcribe. Uh, so it. thank you and I hope you enjoyed also this episode and come back on the podcast every month there will be a new episode uh, for you to listen to and thanks for listening and see you or hear you next time bye bye